you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 16. We're continuing our study in longing for heaven, and so we've looked at how Satan lies about heaven. We looked at how the original plan in Eden was for it to be heaven on earth. We've looked at the fear of death that many of us go through, and then last week we looked at the, um, the immediacy that as soon as you die, you go directly either to heaven or to Hades. And so today, we're going to look at the parable from Luke chapter 16, but we're not sure. Here's the deal. We're not sure it's a parable or not. It doesn't say. So is it a parable or is it actual metaphysical event that Jesus is telling us about? Now we can look at the context and we think that it's a parable But it might be, this is exactly what's going on physically. So we have to be very, very careful because this is a passage that many people go to to kind of say what's going on in heaven now. And again, you have to be reminded that this is just temporary. This is a temporary earth, a temporary heaven. It's going to get better. And we'll look forward to that day where the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem come and sin and death are defeated for all time. And we look forward to that day. So, but here we have this parable and we have to understand the context of the parable. So if you were to look at Luke chapter 15, this is the chapter of the parables of the lost. You have the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. And it's given to specifically the Pharisees. And if you look at chapter 16, verse 14, before our passage, it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him, Jesus. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So we go and we pray and we cry out to one who knows our hearts and he knows the thoughts in our minds. And so let us go to him in prayer as we look at this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, we ask that you would give the Holy Spirit an abundance that we would truly have eyes to see, hearts to understand, minds to comprehend the truths that you are teaching us. The change that you're bringing about, that you are constantly transforming us, transforming our minds, transforming our love, transforming our concerns to that of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, please do not allow this day to go by without us encountering the living God. And so, Father, please be present with us. We know you are because you give us that promise. But Lord, we also pray that you would change us, that you would call people who don't know you to yourself even this morning. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now I would give a warning to parents if your kids get, do get frightened about things. Um, we will be talking about hell, so if you need to have your children sit closer to you, if you would take the time later today to walk them through uh, this passage a little bit, maybe help to explain a little bit further. Um, but please take the time and give them assurance of salvation. Um, but for those who do get a little frightened or overwhelmed, um, please know that there is a reality of hell. And so... Uh, That's just the warning because this can be a passage that people uh, start to get anxious about. So let's look to the passage itself. Luke 16, starting at verse 19. 
For there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So we're going to look at this passage and we're going to see that there's obviously two men. There's two places and two pleas. And that's typical of Luke in his book. He deals a lot in twos. And so we're going to see the first person of the two men is the rich man. And the rich man is someone that has definitely worldly wealth. Now, again, this is written to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had the mindset that if you were wealthy, you were favored by God. So they looked at this wealthy man and they would say, well, of course he's wealthy because he's favored by God. And if you were poor, then you were disfavored by God. So here's this wealthy man, and so the Pharisees are thinking, hey, this man was blessed by God, and it's not an issue about wealth in and of itself. There are many people throughout the scripture who were wealthy people. The question for wealth is, how do we use it? Do we use it just for ourselves, or do we use it to glorify God and minister to others? And the way that he describes this rich man is he's in selfish opulence. He's talking about, he describes it by saying he's a man that is clothed in purple. And this is the color that was the hardest to make. It's, it's royalty color. It's a hard thing to get linen in purple. So this man was wealthy enough to have this purple garment and fine linen. He was able to sleep in, in probably silk sheets. He was someone who had feasting going on. Not just, not just eating, he was feasting. And so there was a selfless opulence that was going on with this man, so much so that he probably could have given a lot of it away and it never, ever affected him. Matthew Henry in his commentary says this, It's not enough not to oppress and trample upon the poor. We shall be found unfaithful stewards of our Lord's good in the great day if we do not succor and relieve them. So what does that mean? It means that probably this, this rich man was not necessarily bad. We'll find out that he was at least religious. And he probably didn't do anything bad to Lazarus. He didn't go out there. He didn't kick him out from his fence or his gate. He didn't go out there and like kick him or anything like that. But he also didn't do anything to serve him. 
And so again, we have to make sure that we watch ourselves, that we, it's not just enough to be just not mindful of people. How do we minister to those around him? And the Bible is very clear. And just even the passage we read before this parable is a sense of saying that God knows the heart. God, God knew the heart of this rich man. Now we know he's wealthy, but we also probably believe that he was very religious. How do we know that? Well, in the passage, he talks to Father Abraham. So that does tell us he was probably of Jewish descent. He was someone who probably knew the Bible. He at least knew about God. He was someone who who probably understood what it was to give. Yet, he had a disregard for God's word in regards to application. He had a rejection of the Lord's law. He was content to be with himself and to spend his money on himself. And it should be a little bit of a warning for all of us. How do we show our love to others? Are we simply just not being mean? But do we really care for those that are around us? So this rich man was wealthy, he was religious, and he was buried. Now there is a difference because probably what happens here, as, we, and as we'll look at with Lazarus, there's a difference because it doesn't just say he died, but he was buried. Now that's significant because there's probably, and we know he has at least five brothers, he's a man of great wealth, so there's probably some great pomp and circumstance when he died. He probably was buried in a tomb that was carved out for him and his extended family. He was able to have the greatest of spices. He probably had hundreds of pounds of spices to anoint his body as it was put into the graveside. And so his great fanfare that he has this proper burial for someone of his stature in the Jewish faith. But it doesn't save him. So you have the rich man, and then what Luke does is he compares him with a poor man. And the poor man, amazingly, they name. Now again, it could be a real person named Lazarus. And Lazarus would have been a common name. And this is not the Lazarus of Bethany that Jesus brings back from the dead. This is a completely different Lazarus. So this Lazarus, whether it's a real person or if he's just showing the example of not naming the rich man and everything that he tried to do for himself, but naming this poor man to show the difference. But Lazarus is there and he is a beggar. And he's so bad off that he has to have someone take him and then drop him off at the gate of the rich people. He can't even get there on his own. So he has to have someone pick him up, take him there, drop him at the gate, leave him out there all day, and then come back later to pick him back up and take him back home. And so he's a beggar out there. And again, the Pharisees believed that the poverty was disfavor of God. And so did the rich man come out and go, well, it's, you're in disfavor with God. I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm not even going to acknowledge that you're here. We don't know. 
But it's happening in such a place that, again, we have to watch ourselves because afflictions are not a curse from God. If you find yourselves in hard things or walking through hard times, it's not a curse from God. How do we know that? 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 3 through 5. That no one be moved by these afflictions. This is Paul. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had attempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul's telling us that there's a lot of things, even within our own lifetime, that affliction comes to those who follow Christ for others. So we're in affliction for the gospel, and it's not a curse. God's not looking at us and saying, hey, you've really messed things up, or you're the person I dislike. We sometimes go through afflictions and trials and temptations because it's the way that we show forth the gospel. And so here is uh, Lazarus, this beggar who's in poverty and pain, and he's sitting outside the gate, and it says now that there are the dogs that come and lick his sores. Now, there's two different views in this, and I'm going to give you both. So dogs at this point, if they're wild dogs, were seen as what we would kind of think of as modern rats. Okay, so dogs were not this great uh, desired pet, you know, that you put in your little buggy and take around. And now we get to take them into restaurants and on planes and all these different things. That's not what the dogs wore back then. So there's a sense of there could have been these just wild dogs that were coming around and licking the sores. And would have been painful probably for Lazarus. So you have this kind of going on. Or the other view is that this was the rich man's dogs. And the rich man would allow his dogs to go out. And so he wouldn't give Lazarus scraps from his tables, but he sure would, sure would let the dogs go out and lick them a little bit. Either way, you see it, it's not a good thing. He's not coming around. He's not petting the dogs and culling up to him and getting licks on his faces. It's not puppy bowl or anything like that. It's not a good thing. And so here you have the dogs coming in and licking this man. And think about this. Because it's not just at this period. How many people in our day and age take care of their pets more than their fellow man? Which animals have more rights than unborn children? How many people will spend thousands of dollars on surgeries and on opulence for their pets and yet walk by those who we see struggling in need. See, again, it's not just walking by and not being mean, but what are we doing? So God gives us a warning through this, but we also know another thing about Lazarus is he's saved. Now, The name of Lazarus means God has helped. So it could be, again, that Luke has just given us this name as a sense of saying, even though he was in trials and tribulations here on earth, he knew without a shadow of a doubt, because we don't see him complaining. We see him just begging at the gate. So he still probably trusted God. Someone probably did minister to him in some way. 
But there is also that he was taken to Abraham's side. That's what it says. So at some point, this man had to truly believe in what Father Abraham had talked about. He truly believed in the faith that he was given. He was saved. And now he finds himself in heaven with Father Abraham. So he's someone who is a beggar. He's saved. But then the scripture says, and if you you notice this, it just says that he died. It doesn't say he was buried. He just died. Now, part of that is that there is no fanfare, especially for the poor and the criminals. We know that one of the things that was a miracle that we were told about in regards to Jesus was when he was taken down off the cross, he wasn't treated like a criminal in regards to his burial. Because what they used to do is they'd take him out into the city dump and throw the bodies in there. So they would just get burned up with all the refuse. Jesus was put into a a tomb that was from Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man's tomb. But not Lazarus. Lazarus, in essence, was probably taken to the city dump and just thrown into the flames. No fanfare, no pomp and circumstance, no spices, just death. But what we've got to recognize is death is the great equalizer. Because it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter the status you have. It doesn't matter what kind of career you had. It doesn't matter what family you married into. All of that goes away. And we see that because it's not just two people, but there's two places. And the first thing we see is heaven. And this is where Lazarus gets to go. And Lazarus goes to a place of comfort. See, even though the world, by all of its standards, had forgotten Lazarus, heaven never did. Heaven was fully aware of what was going on with Lazarus. And it says that there he was carried by angels. So not only are they guards, but they were guides in taking him up to where he was supposed to be, up to Abraham. Psalm 116 verse 15 says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But do you think about that in regard to your death? And I know it's, it's hard for us sometimes because we look at it from our perspective and we see our loved ones going. But for those that are Christians, it's dad sitting there waiting for his child to come home. Think about that. I mean, it reminds me of the times when, because my dad was in, in the military, in the Navy specifically. So he was truly uh, every year gone for at least six months out of the year. And we used to have this whole big ship welcoming party back when they would come back into Norfolk and we would have the whole groups and stuff like that. And you were sitting there and you had been, uh, you know, you kind of gotten excited because you're waiting for them to come back. And we would do the things of banners to be taken out by the planes so the planes would go out to the ships as they were coming into the port and all the families were there. And all the people, all the Navy men were on the, the, the rails of the ship coming in. And then you were just waiting to see your person come out. You get to run and grab them. Think Now take that to the nth level. And Jesus is waiting for you to come home. He's waiting. He's waiting and calling you, come home. And well, finally, when we get there, this will be like it says in the uh, Tolkien's, I mean, so C.S. Lewis's writings and stuff. This is the place that I've longed for. I just never knew it. 
And so we have this understanding that this preciousness is coming. And so here is, he's taken into the presence and he's with Abraham. Of all people. He goes directly to see Abraham. Now, there's an understanding that there's some great fellowship that's going on. And the word is probably, it's different here in the ESV. But it's a, the word should be reclining. He's reclining with Abraham. Now, again, that kind of puts us off in our day and age because we sit at tables, we sit in chairs, and we try not to touch one another. Actually, we're telling our kids, stop touching your brother. Stop touching your sister. Keep your hands to yourself. Well, that's not how they lived back then. So it was usually a low table and they would have pillows, but you would actually um, kind of recline next to the person and you would actually lay your head upon the chest of the person next to you. Now, again, as Americans, that kind of freaks us out a little bit. I don't like that. Don't touch me. It's a great thing that's happening, though. It's a sign of intimacy. Remember, it's John who who lays his his head upon Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. It's, It's a place of honor. And so here you have Lazarus in a place of honor, resting his head upon Abraham, and he is being comforted. And he's having fellowship with the great cloud of witnesses. All that have gone before him are ministering to him, bringing comfort. And as we saw last week, being known, being fully known. Not having to worry about lying to one another. Not having to to say that we're fine. To being known and to be known. So this is where Lazarus is, and he's having this ministry to him, even though he received nothing in this world. But there's a very different picture. And the different picture comes when the rich man recognizes that he's in Hades, and it's, it's instant. And so he's in torment, and he looks up, and it's, so it's an immediate, real place. And it's a place of agony. And listen, the rich man is already conscious of his eternal status. He knows where he's at. He knows he's in torment. And the Bible describes it as a place of flames that are never quenched, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And some unsavory people are going to be there. And so it's a place of torment where it is just, he's, he's sitting there and he's in torment and he can't find any mercy. He can't find any relief ever. And so he's in agony, but he's also isolated. This is a place of isolated. Now, now here's part of the problem, isn't it? His mind is still active. He knows about his past. He knows what he did. He knows what he's done. He knows what's still going on. He knows what's happening up in heaven according to this passage. He recognizes Lazarus. Now how does he do that? I don't know. I don't know if we have a physical body. I don't know if we have a spiritual body. But we have something where he knows and recognizes Lazarus. He knows and recognizes Father Abraham. How would he know that it's Abraham? Don't know. 
But here we have the situation where he is, his mind is still active. He recognizes Lazarus and then he's told by Father Abraham, there's a chasm set between us. Which means you will never, ever find relief. Now again, is there communication that's going on? Will we be able to see down into hell? Will they be able to see up in heaven? I don't know. Again, if this is, if this is metaphysical and this is a real thing, then maybe that's true. And maybe that is part of the chasm that's set up that we could see even maybe loved ones that we knew that are in hell. And maybe that's why he says there's, we, there's the desire for us to go to them and to bring relief, but we can't. And they can't come up to us. Because it's immediate. The time for mercy is done. There's no mercy to be found in Hades. So I don't know if there's communication that's going on or if it's just um, a spiritual point, but there's the reality is, is that there's not a good place to go if you're in Hades. And so they're agonizing. They're in isolation. But then the man, even though he hears this, he makes two pleas, very specific pleas for himself. The first one is the concern for self. Now, it does amaze me that, at least it's not recorded, he doesn't complain about being where he's at in Hades. He's not, hey, Father Abraham, you got it wrong. It's not recorded. He probably knows he's exactly in the right place. And what's amazing, though, is that person who showed no mercy asked for mercy. He's now begging for it. There's a cartoon that I uh, saw many years ago, and it's, uh, it's talking about heaven and hell. And what it is, is uh, it's a room. And in hell, it's these people who have these really long spoons. And this great big um, stew that's right in the middle. And they're all malnourished. And they're sitting there and they're smelling this, this great stew, but none of them will pick up the spoon. And if they did, they couldn't feed themselves. But then the cartoon goes into the heaven. Now it's the same scene. Really long spoons. This big bowl of stew in the middle, this great thing. But these people are, are nourished and they're, they're fellowshipping and they're happy. And it says, well, what's the difference? Well, they pick up their spoons and they fed one another. difference see we're called to nothing less here we are to be doing ministry and having compassion for others but look at this the rich man even at this point is still abusing Lazarus father Abraham I see Lazarus up there with you I still want him to kind of be my flunky Let him go dip his finger and then come and relieve me. He doesn't have mercy for Lazarus, even for eternity. He still wants to be served. He still wants things to happen to him. And again, Father Abraham says, no mercy, not even one drop. Now, again, 
part of this is going back to he didn't even give the scraps from his table to Lazarus. Now he didn't just go bring Lazarus in and let him sit at his table, which is what he should have done. Not that he just made up some leftovers and brought the package out to him and left it at the gate with Lazarus. He didn't even let the scraps go to Lazarus. And Father Abraham says to him, not one drop of water. Not one. Because the time for mercy is done. For you got exactly what you wanted in life. And now you're paying for it in death. And there is no escape. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory. There's no annihilation. Hell is real. And it's eternal. And it is hell. Make no mistake. So he makes this request for himself, but then amazing, and this is shocking to me at least, he starts asking for Abraham, Father Abraham, to send someone to go talk to his family. So now he finds zeal for evangelism, the the ministry work of the gospel, but please understand, he's not doing it for the right reasons. He's still not concerned for others. He's not saying, hey, please, Father Abraham, go and save the rest of my people. He's saying, go save my brothers. Still about him. But it does bring to our concern, where's our zeal for evangelism? William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said this. He said, I wish I could send every person who works for me into hell for one week. And then they would come back and they would be overwhelmed with a zeal for evangelism for people not to go there. Part of why Jesus brings a story to us is to tell us, to give us that passion to go out. And and let me ask you, outside of the people who are just around you or whatever, do you have a zeal for people to go to heaven and not go to hell? Again, one of the greatest things that that happened in my life was uh, my youth pastor, um, teacher, he was a a professor in college, uh, made us go to... Uh, the local mall and watch teenagers for hours. And then we had to report back. But why it was so life-changing for me is because there are definitely some teenagers there that I found were arrogant, jerks, didn't care, left stuff on the table, didn't clean it up, um, were concerned about, you know, the guys with the girls, the girls with the guys, all that kind of stuff. And then I remember the professor looking at me and he goes, but did you care that they were going to hell? Hmm. Well, professor, they kind of deserve it. I mean, let's be honest. They're not doing anything that's earning them any great points. Well, neither did you, Jeff. No one deserves to go to heaven except to be saved by Jesus Christ. So where is our zeal for evangelism? Now what the rich man does is he takes it a step further and he asks 
for a miracle. Hey, Abraham, send Lazarus back. Because if my brothers see him, because we know who he is, we didn't take care of him, but we know who he is. And if Lazarus comes walking back to the gate, my brothers are going to take notice. And what does Father Abraham respond to him? The word's enough. My word, God's word is enough for them. Let them hear Moses and the prophets. Now, what's amazing is, think about this. This rich man is talking to Father Abraham, and he's still arguing. No, it's not. The Bible's not enough. I need Lazarus to come back from the dead. Then my brothers will figure it out. And Father Abraham says, no, they won't figure it out. Because if they're not listening to the word, if they're not applying the word now, it doesn't matter how many miracles they see. It's not going to change them. Now, part of this is is teaching us to look forward. Because remember, there's another Lazarus. But there's another Lazarus that comes back from the dead. And you can look in John chapter 12, starting at verse 9. And when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now listen to what the chief priests, listen to their great plan. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now, how smart do you have to be that this man, Lazarus, has just been raised from the dead? And what's your plan? Let's go kill him again. Does it make sense? This man has come back from the dead. They know it. There's eyewitness accounts of it. And their plan is, let's go kill him again. The chief priests don't turn to Jesus. Their plan is, let's just get rid of the evidence. It's no different than Jesus with Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now think about this. These soldiers have an encounter with the living God. They see a man be raised from the dead. These soldiers who are battle um, savvy warriors are found as though dead, shaking when the tomb is opened. And now they're scared because, let me tell you something, you lose your prisoner during time of war, the prisoner isn't always the only one who's going to get in trouble. You let him go. You're going to die. So they're freaking out. This person's come back from the dead. I saw him. He was in the tomb. We sealed it. I was there. And he ain't there anymore. And that's a problem. So the chief priests, hearing that Jesus was raised from the dead, go, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. Let's rejoice and go and worship him. They said, no, let's cover it up. 
Does that make sense to you? Even if someone was to rise from the dead, it wouldn't change the minds of some people. So it goes back to where's our heart? Jesus very clearly said, God knows the heart of the rich man. And he knew the heart of the Pharisees. And he knows your heart and my heart. He knows it. We can't, you can't put anything by him. You can't just do some things and not put your heart into it. Again, one of the, the greatest things I've ever heard in regards to doing ministry in places like the Booker Washington community is they don't need drive-by goodings. They don't need people to come by and throw money or throw a program at it and then drive out of the neighborhood. They need people to come and commit and not treat them as projects. Treat them as friends. Know them. And I, I get it. I don't stop for the people who have their little signs up and are asking for money and stuff like that because I've been burned too many times. Hey, here's money. Okay, well, next time I'm going to bring you food. No, no, don't, don't bring me food. Just give me cash because I want to do what I want to do. We've been burned as a church. I get that. We've had people call and say, oh, I've got a young daughter. I need to buy uh, diapers. We don't have any money to do this. We need gas and stuff like that. Well, okay, I'm going to come pay your, your bill. Well, then we found out that they were here on vacation. No kid. They just wanted their hotel bill paid. So I get it. I'm jaded. But it shouldn't stop us from doing ministry. Ministry to one another where we do know where things are going, but ministry to those in need. This church has done some great things with a man named Jerry Lloyd who lives on um, the Evans property. He's brought bread. He's, he's brought tents. He's been given water. He's been given food. He's been given um, bail money. And I guess the heart question is, Do you look at him and judge him and say, you're not worth the gospel? But these good people, these people who dress up really nice and clean up, they are. See, Jesus looks at the heart. And he knows exactly where each of us is. So this passage is a warning, not just to the Pharisees, but a warning to us. Where are we? Where is our heart? Is our heart on the things of God or our heart on the things of this world? Because very soon, all of us are going to be in the grave. And then it's too late. So heed the warning. For those who don't know Jesus Christ, I would ask that you would think very hard. Think very hard. For those who are Christians, maybe this is a place where we gain a little bit of zeal for those who are dying around us. Maybe we need to do ministry to people within the church and outside of the church. But all of us need to assess, Lord, know my heart 
may it be found contrite, may it be found good because of Christ and the change he's wrought in me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is, this could be hard. Lord, it's easy to throw judgment upon the rich man. But Lord, I would never apply the rich man to myself. And Father, that's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the religious people. He said, you can be doing all the right things according to the world. You can be giving your tithe. You can be coming to church. You can be coming to youth group. You can be reading your Bible and still not know the Savior. Father, may this be a sober reality for all of us. But Father, may we not be scared. Because for those you have called, you are the one who is faithful. You are the one who will change our desires to do ministry. You are the one who will give us the desire to go and tell others about the good news of the gospel. Father, we just ask that we would be found faithful. Faithful to follow you, no matter where you go, no matter where you send us, no matter the circumstances you place us. Lord, people need the gospel in hospitals. They need it in hospice. Lord, they need it with nurses. They need it at the grocery store. They need it at the schools. They need it at the places of business. They need it everywhere around us, Lord. The beaches, the ships, the cruise ships that come in, the port. Lord, all this area you've given to us, and you just tell us to be faithful to go out and tell others. And then leave it to you. So, Father, hear our prayers. And may they truly come from head and hearts that are changed by the gospel and our desire to be for you to get all the glory and honor. And then we look forward to that day, not just to be with Father Abraham, and that'll be a cool thing, not just with Lazarus and to talk to him, but, Lord, that we would be with our Savior, Jesus Christ, forevermore. So, Heavenly Father, give us the zeal to go forth until you come again. And, Lord, may we continue to long for heaven more today than when we came. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen.